This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's king of swing fighting though. He's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untapped holding on. What a win. Untapped from the RSN Sandy Cup. But Gold Trip is brave. A hundred to go. A length and a half emissary. Gold Trip is going to win the Lexus Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes. Good morning, everyone. Hello and welcome to Cracking the Codes. I'm Dan Maliki with Simone Fisher and Matt Stewart. Good morning to you both. Morning to you both. Morning to you both. It's an easy way you know, of I just realised Simone left her glasses off out the back and uh, she's found them now and we're all sitting... Reminded just how old we're getting. I'm just looking at you two and we've all got reading glasses perched it's, halfway down our noses. It's terrible. These it's things terrible. happen. No, they do. Yeah. I, I, I don't, tell you what I try happens. not to wear them too often, but I'm getting to need to wear yeah, them more, know, more often. Yeah, I know. I know. I'll tell you what happens, <laughs> the weather. I'm hoping that this uh, has no effect on the return of Hillsville picnics today. We're going to have a chat later, Dan, to yes. uh, Johnny O'Neill from up there. Uh, they've had all sorts of weather and I uh, hope it's not touch and go. But for anyone who's thinking of going to the long-awaited return of the Hillsville picnics... Uh, just listen after 11 because we'll give you the all clear. Could they have a then. phantom meeting? Like it, when it happens late, just say that a first race call off just before or just after. Do they then, st- you can stay there surely and have a phantom meeting. There'd be bookies set up. You bet on Melbourne, interstate, all that sort of stuff. First race isn't until after one. Hopefully the, this will clear. They've had a bit of drizzle up there. Um, anyway, look, we'll, we'll certainly keep you up to date. But don't cancel plans because I'm pretty confident that it'll go ahead and it's not going to be a bad day and the weather will clear. Kyneton as well. We can talk to Josh Cartwright a little bit later on. He's got rides at Kyneton and he lost an old mate this week and it, it really will resonate because uh, this old mate who was a 28-year-old horse... Uh, uh, helped Josh through all sorts of ups and downs in life. And we're going to have a chat to Joshy Cartwright, who's flying at the moment. But we're going to concentrate a lot on the next big thing, or the current big thing, aren't we, in yeah. the codes? We are. Captain Ravo. Oh, Captain my Ravo, Captain. as I call him. Ravo. Ravo. <laughs> Captain Ravishing, who's in race three tonight, returns to the racetrack. You tend to think that uh, all this hype, all this talk, um, the cart has been put before the horse. Um uh, is that true? Are you? Well, a, I th- it, well, I'm hearing that the horse is so fast, you'll never get the cart before the horse. Yeah, the horse is too true. fast. So, yeah. no. I, look, I love the hype. I did hear someone on social media say that the Captain Ravishing has transcended harness racing. I'm going to wait till he actually does something before he transcends. But I like the build up because yeah. it's 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 everyone's on eggshells now because the the talk is big, and now he's got to walk the walk, and all the ingredients are there. I know he's super duper fast and. What we're going to try and do, Simone, this morning is work out what, what's under the bonnet and why Captain Ravishing is Captain Ravishing. And we're going to trace the story right back to the breeding of Captain Ravishing and work out why a horse like him is so much faster than his predecessors. What's the what's in the bloodlines? What's making him tick? So, Because um, this is black caviar at the moment. This is the hype, the speed. So he, let's see he what's, get what makes him four up. times. There is a bit of a difference mm-hmm. between a black caviar, but he, he, he does have that sort of, uh, invite that sort of hype. I mean, some of the things he's done, I haven't really seen before, and you just want to see it again. Um, and he's back tonight after a bit of a break. Group two tonight, four-year-old Bonanza. He wins tonight straight into the group one chariots of fire. If he wins that, he's definitely heading to the Miracle Mile. Uh, and then who knows after that, but the Tabureka worth $2.1 million in September is an ultimate goal as well. Simone, you and I were talking during the week about the the um the interview and the story that you bring to the table and it's fascinating to me because it's uh it's kind of it's an inter- Australia's role internationally in racing but it's a very unusual take on it isn't it with the the, the greyhounds that we're sending to the US to fill a an interesting void in their sort of lifestyles over there. Well, we've spoken many times about you know the life cycle of horses and greyhounds and the rehoming and it's really great that. Even the Hero Program is gaining so much traction now as well. You're seeing a lot more standard breads out in the show world, um, the promotion of them, even the track at the track on big nights to see those couple of retired ones in their post-racing careers. The same with the thoroughbreds because we all know that we, this is, we have to do this. And um, I think the only saving grace for the greyhounds in the whole live baiting back in about 2015, was the fact that we had a very good adoption program in place. And I think that is what got us over the line to continue racing. But the flip side of that over in America, and we've spoken about it before, is that they're 
the antis have gained so much control that the tracks and the racing has actually ceased over there. So breeding numbers, they're not breeding greyhounds ceased to race. everywhere? Or? Not everywhere, yeah. but in a lot of... I mean, I'm not very familiar with American geography, so um, we will hear a bit more about that later on. But, um, you know, obviously with the election earlier or late last year and all that, we really have to be mindful of how we can continue racing and um, because otherwise we could go down the way of what's happened in America. So we have had this guest on a few times before um, to talk about rehoming Australian dogs in America. They don't have them and they're desperate for them. And we, our breeding numbers have increased and since um, COVID, you know, people aren't wanting pets as much as they once did because they're back at work and they're retaining their normal um, lives prior to COVID. So you know, there's a few, the wait lists are a little bit bigger with adopting greyhounds now, but America don't have any. So there's this fantastic program that we are able so to So why doesn't America, when did they cancel? I imagine, I, th- I thought it would nearly be the opposite where they've got all these greyhounds to race and then they shut down greyhound racing. And I thought they would probably have an oversupply of greyhounds because they're not allowed to race. But it's almost the opposite. We're filling their mm, void, aren't we? We are, so, but they're actually helping us out because yeah. we have an overflow yeah. of greyhounds. And these people, we'll hear from Beck um, later in the show, these people are travelling eight hours one way to the airport, having to stay overnight to pick a dog up to have as a pet. An Aussie dog. An Aussie dog. This is how desperate some of these people are to have greyhounds. And there's been some beautiful photos of Aussie dogs playing in snow and all that, knee-deep uh, un- snow. Unfamiliar scenarios. Very, very in. Uh, so. so I'm interested to talk to Beck Miller about the flow, why you know what the situation is over there. What why, why is there a dearth of greyhounds? And the bit that interests me, Dan, and you know you're a dogman. You've got two uh, voracious pets. Uh, is uh, every time I think of America and dogs, I think of those horrible, aggressive pit bulls and and so on, and those those hicks in the you know in, in uh, you know weird Alabama and that with their uh, with their attack dogs. And I'm thinking, wouldn't hicks. it be nice if the Australian greyhound could replace the, the yeah. American pit bull in America? Yeah. Well, they're banned here. Yeah, yeah. Or banned from breeding anyway. Yeah, exactly right. So anyway, I'm kind of it's such a fascinating story. The idea of all these Australian greyhounds being flown as emergency relief to American <laughs> uh, families uh, and walking these Australian pedigrees walking down um, Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've uh, we, what we need. Is a famous American. We need Margot Robbie walking down Sunset Boulevard, but with a d- basket bale, yeah. with a basket yeah. bale. But do you know Charlie? What is it? Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones. I yeah. think he passed away yep. last year. He had a pet greyhound as well. The drummer. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah, he um, had a pet greyhound. So I think there's a lot more people than we are aware of. It's actually become a bit of a what do you call it, a fashion trend, yeah. a, a vogue. There, people yeah. walking their dogs. I, I went to a bar. Would you believe? And I loved. It. I thought it was fantastic. No, it went does. To a, yeah, went to a bar with a greyhound. Uh, yeah, uh, there's a few there, but <laughs> I don't want to go there. Into a bar? Yeah, with a greyhound. Horse did, and why the long face? Why yeah, the yeah. pointy face? Anyway, it was uh, it was pet friendly, and there were it still sounds sounds like a joke. Well, Keep going. No, but there was greyhounds <laughs> there with bandanas on, and they were right in the aisle, and I actually had to step over the greyhounds, and and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I felt like I was at home. I didn't realise I could bring uh, you could bring dogs. So the next time around, I wanted to take my uh, Roddy and and my Kelpie down as well. Well, but uh, there's a lot of places like that around, and I think it's fantastic. But I, I do see when you look at the most common dog you see walk nowadays, I, I reckon it's probably a greyhound, the most common. Yeah, no, are, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt about that about. at all. Hey, um, we're going to have a chat to Mick Doltoff, who's uh, what's the ownership group again? Dan, that's... Uh, uh, the Sloys uh, Company. Yeah. Uh, been involved in harness racing for a long time and uh, with the breeding set up and the racing set up, been going for quite a while and have had some great success as well. And Mick Dol- Doltoff has been at the head of that for a long period of time. All right. Well, we're going to have a chat to him in a sec. First, though, we've got a... You know how we like our little archival audio grabs? There was a bit of a chit-chat on social media this week about... The grand old days when there was the, the, the media people, like the racing journos and the media people had multi-skills. Like Bill Collins was a song and dance man, as yeah. we know. And uh, Johnny I was Tapp, a yodeler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Johnny <laughs> Tapp uh, had multiple skills. And as we discovered, this was an ad to, I think it was to promote the advent of pub tabs yeah. throughout Australia, going back 25 years or so. And there's this, it's sort of better visually, but you get a hint of it. Or We found this, because he's going to play it, this is an ad that went to air. And I, I'm just trying to imagine any racing journos these days saying, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. <laughs> so have a listen to this ad. This was from the tab and Sky to, to promote pub tabs back in the day. 
When you catch up with your mates for a cold drink, it can lead to more excitement than you might think. Meet them at the pub tap for a bet and a beer. Have a friendly wager and say, here's cheers. Use your form guide as a beer mat. And you and your mates sing the Johnny Tap rap. Sizzle followed by short sheep, surfside sex, salacious and sun sitting. I see Miss Abel, mates, Sid, Sest and Brad. Sipping on some suds at the pub tap. With calendars of races and beer on tap. Bet you have fun at the pub tap. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's sort of got a ring to it, though, hasn't oh, it? Well, they're very talented song and dance. And I reckon Mick Doltoff was listening to that going, why don't Malecki, Stewart and Fisher uh, engage in such sing-alongs? Hey, I've seen Mick at a few karaoke bars and that. You'll get involved. Don't worry about that. How are you, Mick? Don't bring that up, please. <laughs> hey, how's the golf going? Last time you were still on about 27. Have you improved that handicap or are you still... No, I don't think I've played since. Is that right? No. Nah, uh, too busy breeding champions. Oh, uh, well, we hope it turns into a champion. I was talking to Mick yesterday and I said, oh, we want to get you on to talk about your champion. He goes, oh, don't say champion. Do not say champion. So uh, it's, I guess it's eggshells, Mick, isn't it? You don't want to get ahead of yourself. But I think everyone is, whether you like it or not, everyone's um, just raving all, uh, raving about <laughs> ravishing or ravo, as we call him. Uh, it's such a it's such a buzz. What's it like being, you know, part of, a big part of the story as the as the breeder of Captain Ravishing? Oh well, uh, well, I'm not personally the breeder, but toys are, and uh, you know they've been, you know bred a lot of good horses, and he looks like, oh, hopefully he might turn out the best for him. You've had great success, though, particularly through the, the female line, uh, through yourself and Sloys, and a lot of those you've trained and, and, and driven uh, Mick over the years. And um, uh, Full Pleasure is one that readily uh, springs to mind, but those, uh, those colours have been to the forefront of harness racing for quite a long period now. Yeah, yeah, we, we uh, started off with a couple of mares and uh, they've just kept producing and, you know, it's ended up... Uh, a really good breed for us. We've got sort of two lines there, the Cosmophila line and Play the Field line, and all their daughters, have, you know, just kept throwing winner after winner. So, yeah, really well. Which line does Captain Ravishing come from? Well, he's from Cosmophila. So, uh, you know, they sort of got a bit of toughness about them, that breed. And, you know, uh, you know, I actually, that's my favourite favorite line. So, you know, they, they produce some good horses, Renaissance Man in that. Um you know, and now hopefully Captain Ravishing will go and do something as well. What do you do, Mick, when you've got a mare that, or a line that's successful? Do you tend to go back to that same um, stallion or the stallion cross, or do you try and go completely different if she's throwing to everything? Um, what's sort of the plan after she's thrown a few handy horses? Uh, no, we just try and go with the best stallions that are available, you know, and uh, whatever cross is good and you know, like I'm, I'm a fan of the Max Three line. So you got some beach captain treacherous, and you know the all good gated horses. And you know, you have a look at they just keep throwing winner after winner. Yeah. So, because he's of almost of a new era. Like I remember when Christian Cullen came along, it was sort of like God, I haven't seen anything move like this. It's like his legs were pistons, and he was just amazing, and, and looked like he sort of represented a, a just a different new era of of what we can do when we breed the right horse. And now I think Captain Ravishing's taken it to a different level and a, a greater international level. And as you say, with uh, um, with the sire, Captain Treacherous, and and the link up to the mare, it's almost like breeding the best of the colonial blood into an exotic uh, international sort of bloodline as well to, to create this super horse, Mick? Uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, well, we're getting, we've got, you know, the opportunity to go to these top stands over America and, you know, our breed's equally as good as theirs, you know. We're breeding exactly the same, so, you know, they're getting faster and faster and he's such a great type of horse, you know, he's got stallion written all over him, hasn't he, because he keeps going the way he's going. Just take us through the breeding process, because AI is something that's uh, been huge in harness racing for a long time. I think Alibar was the the uh, originator of that. Well, it, how did you get the, the, how did the mating occur? Oh, well, you know, we just sit down and, and, and go through our mares, what ones we're going to breed for the year and, and just sort of go through the, the sort of top stands. We try to go to the best stands we can. And, um, you know, we just thought that cross, obviously, was, you know, sit down and thought it would work and it did. 
So, but was it a physical mating or a test tube mating? Don't be too explicit, Nick. No, no, there's none of the physical stuff that goes on those four scenes. They're all jumping on dummies. <laughs> yeah, so just with the AI, for, for Gallup's listeners who don't understand the, that metho- methodology, take us through the, the process with an AI. Well, I've never really done it myself, but I've seen, like, Luke McCarthy's, you know, does uh, does a lot down there, and I've just uh, seen doing it, and they just, you know, have a mare standing there. They've got a dummy there, and stallion goes, jumps on the dummy, and, you know, they go from there. They get the sperm, and and then uh, put in the straw and stick it into your mare. Like a, like a, like a blow-up doll type dummy, is it? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Oh, kind of half serious. Is that kind of what we're talking about? Or yeah, I have It looks seen... like one of those old bull radio things anyway. Right. So, Simone, I, I without getting it... x-rayed, explain it. Oh, with the, um, I've seen it with the warm bloods many years ago when they were importing semen, warm blood semen. That's how they would have the... It was a, like a dummy horse on a stand and they'd have this big collecting tube in the dummy horse and they'd have the little mare teasing and the stallion would think that... Um, you know, he was jumping on the real mare. But, Michael, it must be, like with the greyhounds, most of the um, matings now are done by frozen semen, but it's, okay. it preserves the mare, doesn't it? Like, because the stallions can knock them around a little bit. Oh, yeah, for sure. And the stallions, you know, sort of, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, you get a kick from a mare or, you know, the, the, you, know you get a lot of damage to those stallions are worth too much money, so... You know, it's a good way of doing it. I wonder whether mayors ever slapped a suitor across the face. You know, the old... I, I saw Sir Tristram. I was actually there watching Sir Tristram serve a mayor one day, and it was the day, couldn't believe it, it was the day that he slipped and he hurt himself, and then he, he was not allowed to resume duties for about six months, so he nearly missed a, a full season. But the mayor was, was cladded up in, in leather. It sounds like it's getting to another extreme here, but to protect her from, from being savage. So mm. the process now, by doing the AI, as, as both Mick and Simone have pointed out, um, for both the safety of, of, of um, the, the stallion and all the mayor are protected. Mick, it sounds like with the leather, it should have taken place in a dungeon or something. But anyway, we won't go there. So, so next step. So I, I know that the, the, some of your mares are up at... Um, Craig Judd's Bemstud, and I know he's got, yeah. he's got two farms, and they were born on the farm, and then little Captain Ravishing's uh, nurtured through to the to the yearlings. So, take us through the the next stage of the story after 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 the mare's given birth, and then he gets oh, prepped well, we up for the for the sales. To, yeah, we just leave it all up to Juddy. He does a great job, you know. His record speaks for itself, and you know the majority of our mares are up in stud there, and you know he he looks after. I've might go up there and just have a check through which ones we might keep. We, we you know, we, we sort of sell a lot now and only going to keep a couple every year, mostly fillies. And uh, he just takes the sales and hopefully we get the reserve that we want. What was he like as a youngster, Ravo? No, he was, like, as far as I know, obviously Juddy did a lot more than I did with him. I just mainly saw him at the yearling sales and he was a lovely colt then and good to handle and, you know, he... Uh, he, he, he seems his racing manners have improved, and you know he's uh, obviously Clayton and uh, Emma have done a great job with him. I think was he about eighty? Did he go for Mick? Yeah, that was actually his reserve. He went for his reserve. Has must have known about it. <laughs> Is that slightly unders? Given I mean, obviously, when no one knew what what he was going to be, but did did the owners get a bargain there at eighty k? Yeah, I thought we sold a uh, you know I thought we sold a very good horse and. Um, obviously, you know, you don't know how good they're going to be at that time, but, I mean, we've got 80K, that's what we wanted. So, you know, we we hope the horse just keeps winning and winning. It's great for us and, you know, great for us and all these his family, you know, good people, and I've known him for ages, so, uh, you know, uh, I hope it keeps winning for him. Uh, Michael, there's one thing. I've got a photo of Captain Ravishing um, on my screen at the moment, and there's one thing I've noticed about Emma's horses. They don't have a lot of gear on their faces and their heads um very and i even made that comment to her one day i said i've noticed how little you use where some horses go out on the track and they look like they're going into full battle they've got shadow rolls and spiky things and meshed over their eyes and i look i don't understand a lot of it why they use that obviously some to pacify them or you know to to help them along but hanging lugging poles all of that type of thing um but the one thing i've noticed with her horses and with captain ravishing he's just got a very simple bridle and a, a bit on um so yeah from an owner's or well, you obviously know more about it than me is that 
something that you like to see? Less is best. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, obviously, got good manners, and and uh, you know he's a good tryer. So that you don't need to block him up or do anything like that. He just at the run. So the less, the better, for sure. And tonight, Captain Ravishing comes back. Do you get excited now, knowing uh, the process that you've been involved in, or just simply as a, a harness racing fan, Mick, to be able to watch a horse that's been you know, talked about in the way that Captain Ravishing has? Is is he, you know, something you work your night around? You've got to run it at an angle, which will you can tip us one if you think it can win. But um, right. you, his brother's racing it. <laughs> well, at an angle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the first foal out of the mare. He's racing tonight, and so. Be nice to get a winner in each state for the mayor. Uh, which one's that? Uh, let's get rocking. That's the first. Oh yeah, yeah. And what's the third? Is there another one coming along behind him now? Um, well, we just took one to the runarounds on Wednesday. I, I like him too. Ah, uh, so you're keeping him? Yeah, we we uh, we kept that one. Yeah, yeah. He he might not have made. Well, he probably would have made some good money, but he, he's not a big horse or anything like that. He's Betters, he's a gelding, and uh, he went around at the runaround the other day, and we quite like him too. Well, Mick, um, I can't imagine what it would be like to have a horse that everyone is talking about, and uh, you're part of this story, so I'm sure there's a, a, a bit of expectation and some nerves for tonight, and then as you march on through the chariots and the, and the Miracle Mile. So fingers crossed, and thanks for giving us a bit of an insight into what the ingredients of Captain Ravishing are from a breeding perspective. Very interesting stuff. Good on you, mate, and good luck. All right, see you all later. Uh, Mick thanks, Dalt Mick. off there. Clayton um, Tonkin said to Mark Pitt before the trial at Ballarat, he said, mate, you're going to need a seatbelt for this one. So uh, the talk is uh, is through the roof. If What do you think of Captain Ravishing? one three hundred. We take calls now. We take calls. We take calls. We or... take calls. one three hundred six five two nine two seven. one three hundred six five two nine two seven. Tell us what you think about Captain Ravishing. Is the cart before the horse or is the horse going to be well in front of the cart from tonight on? SMS 0416905052. And let us know, Cozzy, if anything trickles through on the, on the SMS. Kira Manning's going to join us shortly, the queen of harness racing. I think it's apt, isn't it? Do you know of any other people that have signs as you go into towns, world champion, in this case, Karen Manning, when you go through Great Western, any other... Uh, there's, I think Stall... Is it Sean Kelly came from there, the, the cyclist? Um, oh, you got me Lydia. now. Is it Lydia someone coming into Melton? Oh, is that's right. Lydia, yeah, the skier. Lasselot or something? Yeah, oh, yeah Lydia yeah, Lasselot. Yeah. And Barwon Heads uh, for Cadell oh, Evans. Yeah. yeah, there's probably a few. But, Come on, um, Cozzy, who's, who's someone who's got a... Welcome to so-and-so. Barrel, Don so-and-so. Bradman. Uh, we're yeah, Andrew Bradman. Hall, Bradman. somewhere in New South Wales, Olympian equestrian. Uh, there's a town, the there's one named after Keith Hill. You just crossed the border in South Australia. It says, welcome to Keith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, there's a couple of yeah. places named after racehorses in, in Western Victoria. There's a place called Skipton, named yep. after the Melbourne Cup winner. And there's another place called Linton, named after the Stradbroke winner. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think they discovered Skipton in about 1825. Uh, Karen well Manning's going to join us uh, after the break. She's representing uh, Team Teal as an ambassador, and this is uh, it's a great awareness. Been involved in harness racing for quite a few years now, uh, and bringing to the attention uh, of everyone uh, ovarian cancer. So it's a subject that's close to many people's hearts, and rightly so. Uh, and also a lot of money uh, each year is made as a result of Team Teal. So Karen will join us shortly. Um, I wonder if one if, if, will ask you, has anyone ever defaced the welcome to the home of Karen Manning? Put you a moustache on you know, or something. You know, when you're in the country towns, all the stop signs have got shotgun blasts through them or, or spray paint. We'll just well, ask Karen's if anyone that, has no. ever defaced I, I the home loves, of Karen yeah. Manning. I think everyone loves yep. Karen. I can't imagine anyone would have a gripe with her. To have sour grapes there, there's no. got to be something wrong uh, with someone upstairs. Um, as we go into a break, I picked out five uh, Hunter Cups we'll, we'll play at some stage. Uh, all different race callers, but we'll go back to the first one as we go into our break. 1980, a horse that won three of them, the mighty Pure Steel. He led by almost three metres on Romantic Chris Gamalotis, three horses wide, friendly footman is four deep, Lacano is Koala King Bigass still can't get out. He's almost out now. Romantic Chris is dropping off and here comes Koala. Kotari Knight being tackled by Koala King. Gamalite friendly footman down the outside. Bigass in front on Koala King and Koala King for the money. Koala King wins the Hunter Cup. So that's Koala King. That was Ray Benson. 1980. Great horse. This is, uh, sorry, 1981 Koala King. Pure steel in 1980. 
in now. Pure still moving up on the outside of Pale Face Adios. Koala King's going to have the last track at them. Pure still straightened up in the Hunter Cup in front. Here's Koala King on the outside after Pure Steel. Koala King and Pure Steel settle down to fight it out with Nigel Shannon driving through on the inside. Pure Steel still in front. It's been a tremendous performance of the champ. Pure Steel wins the Hunter Cup by a head. Koala King on the outside. Margaret Shannon and Brad Adios flashed up. Yeah. Cracking the codes for the totally unmissable Australian Cup Carnival. Three unmissable nights at Melbourne Greyhounds The Meadows starting Saturday, February 11 for three Group 1 Invitationals. The Tem Lee, Rookie Rebel and Zoom Top. See themeadows.org.au they went 28-4 for the third quarter. Arden Rooney loomed up to hit the lead. Philadelphia man can't go on. Easy on the eye. Chris and me getting home. They were followed by Flaming Flutter. Turning it's Arden Rooney in front. Down the outside, Chris and me from Easy on the eye. Arden Rooney's clear. Chris and me's 10 metres away. Arden Rooney in front in the cup. They're not going to get to him. Flying home, Franco Ledger. But Arden Rooney wins it. Arden Rooney beat Franco Ledger. Third home, Easy on the eye. Fourth, Chris and me. Then Flaming Arden Rooney, Kieran Manning, trainer and driver, winning the 2015 Hunter Cup. I think he was about 80 to 1, remarkably, and then Mm. would come out and win a New Zealand Cup. It was a wonderful year for Kieran, who joins us uh, this morning. How are you, Kaz? I'm good, Dan. Thank you. What's that like? I mean, I guess with each year that goes by, you might listen to that replay slightly less. It might have been 100 times the first year, 50 the next, 25 the next, and so on. So what's it feel like remembering that moment? Uh, yeah, I actually watched it this morning um, while I had breakfast <laughs> to refresh my memory. Oh, so it's a daily thing for you. It's part of your Wheaties. Every breakfast, no. <laughs> what about, is it um, your ringtone or the wake-up alarm? Is it... Uh... Well, that'd be my voice she wakes up to then. <laughs> well, no one, you couldn't wish that on anyone, Kez, so that eliminates that idea anyway. Hey, one thing we wanted to ask you, because we were talking about people who have are so famous that at the entrance to the town that it says the home of, welcome to the home of, has anyone ever defaced or spray-painted or anything? Has is, is there ever been a desecration of the Karen Manning sign at Great Western, or has it always been pristine out of respect? <laughs> no, pristine, I'll say that. It has been knocked over by a lady who fell asleep, but um, <laughs> right. they put it up, back up quickly. Yeah. She picked the wrong moment to fall asleep. But, um, well, you yeah, may have saved uh, her life. Yeah, you, saved, you might have saved the impact life. from hitting you, as in your sign. <laughs> So the the world's most famous ever female driver, Saved occasional life. saver of lives. And the driver of the vehicle was probably listening to a replay of me calling that hunter yeah, cup, so yeah, put yeah. it to sleep. It's starting to sound creepy now. But, uh, <laughs> and how long before they were able to put it back up? Because I'm sure it would have been sensitive in the Manning household of, oh, gee, they still haven't put that sign back up yet. <laughs> oh, just a couple of days. That was right. pretty quick, I must say. Okay. <laughs> a, bit, a bit scary, you know. Uh, Karen's a bit of a town hero, so I'm sure they wouldn't have um, wanted it, the sign to be down for too long. But Karen, I, I watched that replay of the Hunter Cup and um, I said to Dan this morning, when did they do away with standing starts? Because they just add that other dimension, that unpredictability of the races. Perhaps it's not a good thing when you're driving in these big races to have a standing start, but for the spectator, it certainly is. But um, what a huge run and um, you weren't letting anything pass you down that uh, home straight. <laughs> No, I thought that this morning. I was watching. Like, oh, I was a bit, I was a bit excited, and um, I just kept chasing him pretty hard to the line. But I could hear them coming, so I, I thought, um, yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> I just kept uh, kept at him. <laughs> what um, what do you think about the? I've, I know it's hard to go backwards, and I know the reason why they they got rid of you know across the board stand starts and a lot of races and. And Hunter Cups, but one of my, my favourite memories of the Hunter Cup was when Christian Cullen galloped twice and was a tragedy beaten, but it was so dramatic. Do you hark back to the... Do we need a, to think about it again? I know the trainers aren't really adept at training stand-start horses anymore, and that's a problem, but, and it's a wagering issue, but for, for, for um, excitement and unpredictability, I think it's a, it's a real allure. What do you think about whether we've gone the right way with stand-starts? Yeah, I'm with you. I, you know, it used to be the um, an exciting race to watch. Used to sit up in the stands at Mini Valley, um, and the, the chaos at the start, I suppose you could say, was it added the excitement to the race. Um, punters obviously aren't the biggest fans because of the unknown, um, but I think it gives everybody um, a fair chance. Look at Arden Rooney, um, <laughs> eighty to one, and 
he just was a great stand star horse, so it suited him down to the ground. And yeah, I, you know, I miss the stands. Um, I don't go around in that many because that only the trot races and don't have that many drives on trotters at times. So you kind of um, go into a stand start nowadays. Um, you know, it, it feels a bit weird, but yeah, I, I think that it just added that dimension and excitement to a race and. And, um, yeah, I'd love to see it come back. But uh, sadly, I don't think it will. But you never know. Smolder won the year after, and that, uh, that was the last of the stand starts for the Hunter Cup. But every other state still has stand starts for paces. Victoria still has stand starts for uh, the Trotters. Um, and, of course, later that year in 2015, you went on and won probably the most famous of the stand start races. Uh, you won the New Zealand Cup. So you were virtually representing a whole nation there um, by taking that big double that year. It really, in harness racing, it doesn't get any bigger, does it, uh, Karen, with a Hunter Cup and then a New Zealand Cup? No, it doesn't at all. You sort of, um, the Hunter Cup was really unexpected. It was um, a great surprise. And and then the, the um, New Zealand Cup here was sort of obviously touted to be uh, one of the main chances. And, and so there's a little bit more added pressure to that. But certainly to do the double in different uh, uh, countries was um, pretty big. And, you know, it, it doesn't happen very often. And you don't get the horse to have the chance to do that very often. So I was very lucky to have Arden Rooney and... Um, he was the perfect example of long distance stand start horse and uh when the mobiles came in um he he missed them in the end but um he certainly um yes yeah, showed showed that there is horses that just adapt to the stand and and is that sort of their sort of racing they win many races because of that I guess it's a bit chicken and egg isn't it like these you couldn't go backwards because the horses seem to be getting the occasional times I see them doing a stand start, they seem to be terrible at it because they're not getting a lot of practice these days. So it's a bit tricky, isn't it, Karen? Because back in the day when they ran a lot of them, they were probably better at getting away. But these days, half of them yeah. have got no idea what they're doing, and it it makes stand start racing look a bit ugly if. The trainers it was the more horse, the stand-start yeah. procedure that yeah. was the problem. Uh, uh, and, and again, they were limiting over a little period of time, Karen. There were less and less stand-starts. So some of those horses were getting less experience in getting away. But also the whole procedure, starters, even some of the drivers. I remember there were some drivers that it had been driving for a couple of years before they ended up driving in a stand-start, which would be for trotters. Mm, so mm. lack of experience was also adding up over the years. Oh, yeah, it was. Um, you see, now with the stands, you, you sort of cringe when there's a false start in the stand because you just know what people will be saying about them. Um, but like you said, there's not horses don't get the practice at them um, like they used to. There used to be so many, and and you could um, win races with horses that wouldn't win races because they could go away really good. And, and um, yeah, it's just a bit sad now that um, there's not as many options and and they don't, don't get the practice at it, so they look a little bit messy, which makes it look bad. Now, we've got a text in saying stand starts should be done like South Australia does them, not as many issues. Uh, they circle, don't they, Karen? You would have had experience over there. They sort of circle, and it's more like a, a sort of walk-up start. Yeah, that's right. You circle um, to the inside of the, the track and, and walk out and and line up um, a little bit like they do in overseas, the, like the vault starts, but... It, been a bit slower, so um, it's, it does work. It's a little bit tricky when you're drawn in close because um, you're sort of still turning onto the track because sometimes when they say go, which is a bit of a disadvantage, but it seems to work um, quite well for them. Um, it, it, it gets a bit tricky when there's multiple lines off the front, sort of it gets a little bit harder to deal with, but um, it certainly hasn't... hasn't um, you know, it, it's worked for them, and I guess, like you said, Dan, the procedures is, is half the battle here. It's, um, some of them walk up, some of them you stand, and you just never know what you're going to get. So the drivers are kind of guessing what's going to happen, and, um, and that tends to cause a few false starts because people aren't quite ready or they're, they're ready before it goes, sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard one to work out whether it could ever be fixed or not. 
I was working on the track one night at Melton and it was a probably around winter time and it was a stand start and I was on the inside and um, you have to stretch the tapes across and anyway I just did what I was told because I wasn't you know it's the first time I'd ever experienced it and um, it was just the most beautiful moment because the horses were hot and the steam coming off the horses and off their noses and you know their breathing and everything and you saw the the lights of the um, the background of the grandstand and these horses milling around in like a fog. It was a really, really lovely um, sort of moment. It was. I just thought, oh, gee, this looks really, really cool. So I can't imagine how cool it would be actually driving these horses from a stand start, but heart and mouth moment as well, Karen. But with Arden Rooney, he's been a, a terrific hero ambassador as well. He's won over a million dollars, but he's been through the hero program with some terrific retrainers. I know Jason Dins had him at one point and... Um, He's been doing extremely well. It must make you very proud to see a horse that has accomplished so much on the track doing so much off the track too. It is, yeah. You'd love to see them have a, a great life after racing. It's sometimes hard to place horses uh, depending on their natures and things, but Rooney was always a lovely horse to have around. And, yeah, he, he learnt some um, tricks and things, which he was very good at. Um, now he's moved on to, to Jackie Barker. Uh, has him at the minute retraining him to find him a new home again so he's in very good hands there I see him uh, the videos they post of him um, and it just gives you that you know lovely feeling to know that he's happy and and healthy and and he's going to find that that one home that uh, will love him forever so yeah it's just a wonderful program the hero program Kez, it's been a long time since Night Pistol and Sweden and all that, and a lot's changed with horses and the breeding and both the paces and the square gaiters. Uh, just uh, keen to get your impression of Captain Ravishing, uh, who uh, we've, just, we've spoken to uh, uh, the connections and uh, tried to you know piece together the breeding story to work out how this horse is just so damn good. As an observer, what do you make of Captain Ravishing? Yeah, he's impressive, isn't he? Just He um, makes... Gives you that feeling, that goosebump feeling, doesn't he? When he when he's just cruising along, and then he just pushes the button, and he and he gives uh, a gap of ten meters on the rest of the field. And what he's been racing are horses that are pretty good, so it's sort of um, exciting to see that he's uh, going to be a uh, a good horse in the future, and it's something to look forward to for sure. He's, yeah, he's just awesome. Uh, it's Team Teal uh, time of the year, Karen. Uh, you've been an ambassador. Uh, for Team Teal for, I think, since its inception. And you mentioned Jackie Barker is another Team Teal ambassador, as is Jodie Quinlan, and uh, also Kate Gath uh, as well. You started off uh, with a winner last night, yourself and Kate, $400 each for each win, thanks to uh, the, the TAB and to Harness Racing Victoria. But it's a very important cause, uh, going for a six-week period, um, to raise awareness and, and also to be able to get some funds to support uh, the, uh, the cause of... Uh, of uh, trying to stop at best uh, ovarian cancer and uh, uh, as I said for, for any women any male for that matter it's incredibly important but just tell us about uh, your role as an ambassador for Team Teal. Yeah I, I got asked um, quite a few years ago now to to be an ambassador and it's sort of something that makes you feel pretty proud to be asked to do there's not many of us that get to wear the colours and to be chosen to do that to represent uh, ovarian cancer is um it's very special. It, it, it's nice to be able to um, be able to raise funds for such an important cause, and and while doing what you love. So it's certainly um, it's pretty special to my heart. And and to get uh, like Arden Rooney who had the teal pants on that night, um, it's just an extra special feeling to to be able to help out. It's um, a great cause, and I'm glad we'll be able to do it. Karen, you got a fan on Twitter. They've said you're such a graceful person and an ornament to harness racing and racing in general. I don't think anyone would argue with that. <laughs> we'll all agree, Karen. <laughs> I know you're always lovely. If anyone spray paints that sign, they've got to get 20 years. Oh, I yeah, reckon. 20 years. Uh, hung, drawn yeah. and quartered. Yeah, yeah, in the main street of Great Western. <laughs> no, that wouldn't be recommended, actually. No, you're going too far again, Dan. Uh, no, everyone loves Karen. I've never heard anyone say a bad word against Karen. I, one thing I, I before if you we don't s- like Karen, SMS into <laughs> 0416. Uh, Karen had this menagerie, but of horses of different shapes and sizes, and uh, doing I don't know if they were weird experiments, but uh, just tell us about the group of uh, ponies, donkeys, horses, unicorns, whatever it was that you had at your place, and how many have you got now? Um. 
I had uh, I always wanted a Clyde style and a miniature pony for as long as I could remember, um, and eventually got the got the dream to come true. Um, unfortunately, the Clyde style he, he passed away a few years ago, but um, Big Angus he was big beautiful fella, and the miniature ponies are still here. They're they're kind of everywhere here. Um, I like to grant. Um, dismay, but he has to trim their feet, which isn't much fun for him. But um, yeah, I, I breed a few miniature ponies and, and sell them on. There's quite a few across. Uh, a lot of people um, in harness racing have have a few of my progeny, and um, yeah, they're just great. They just they're probably good for nothing, but they're good for making you happy, and um, they put a smile on your face. That's for sure. The Clydesdale didn't jump the fence to get in with. Uh... The uh, the miniature at any stage there. There was no, uh, you know, making of new breeds, was there? <laughs> no, no, he was a gelding, unfortunately. <laughs> They're not known for their um, athleticism either jumping, are they, Clyde Styles, Karen? So you're probably safe there. Hey, Kaz, um, Stevie Black has just tweeted through the sign as you enter Tarang, uh, and it's got about four or five different things on it, including the Lions Club and Market First every Saturday and CFA. And you can barely make out underneath it all is the home of Gamalite. And it's all, it needs a reno. Let's just say that. It needs a reno. So while we go and renovate the Tarang home of Gamalite sign, does yours need a, a spot of paint or anything like that while we're in that area? Um, we could come and give it a little polish, if you like, a bit of Brasso or something. Yeah, you could polish it up. That'd be good. Or a spotlight on it, you know. We'll do, we'll do Gamalite <laughs> and Karen Manning in the one afternoon, Dan. Yeah, it sounds good enough to me. All right. Kez, thanks for joining us. Good luck tonight. Have you got a winner tonight? Um, most likely not. <laughs> I'll be trying my best, but yeah, I'm hopefully maybe on the run of place. Maka um, Madiva went quite well last week. Should have a good sit close to the speed, but it is a strong race. Yeah, you're talking about miniature ponies. She nearly qualifies. Uh, she does. She's not She's not very big. She's um, yeah, a very um, good-looking horse, so she'll have a good... Uh, Show career in a, when she's finished if she's not breeding. So she's um, a bit of a pocket rocket, but yeah, she's probably my best chance to, to weigh in. Well, thanks for joining us again, uh, Karen. Marvellous to relive that moment in 2015 with Arden Rooney with you. And uh, have a great six weeks through that uh, period uh, being an ambassador for Team Teal. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. You Karen know, the Manning. other thing about Karen Manning, and I've said this to Karen Manning, you know, my mate Alison Bennett, the trainer. Mm. They are voice doppelgangers. You have never... It's eerie. It's eerie. I nearly thought she was Alison for a while there. It was quite quite scary. We'll take a break and uh, we'll be back with our next guest, Simone. We will. And we'll be talking about Australian greyhounds and American homes. And as we go into the break, this is one of my favourite horses growing up. The mighty Pro Chevalier. What a win of the Hunter Cup in 1985. But have a look at this Pro Chevalier. Look at the champ go down to the 250 metre mark. It's a matter of how far. Perkins had a look over his shoulder. Waves the whip at the leader, Pro Chevalier. He turns well clear. He's five, six lengths in front, going further ahead from Gosh, parading. And down the outside is Wandai's mate. But this is a great horse, Pro Chevalier. Pro Chevalier going further ahead in the run to the line. An easy win, Pro Chevalier all the way. Pro Chevalier wins the Hunter Cup by 25 metres. Great go, Wandai's Mate's got second. I'd say Penyans run third in the photo. Cracking the codes for the totally unmissable Australian Cup Carnival. Three unmissable nights at Melbourne Greyhounds The Meadows. Starting Saturday, February 11, the three Group 1 Invitationals. The Tem Lee, Rookie Rebel and Zoom Top. See themeadows.org.au. 7-11 down as we come back. Uh, Matty mentioned that he's renamed Captain Ravishing Rabo. Yeah. Uh, Glenn wants tonight... He says when uh, the horse shoots like 10 in front, he wants to hear something from you like, look at Ravo go or go Ravo go, <laughs> with a bit of grunt. Yeah, no, no, see, done, done. Dan loves that sort of stuff. And I'll tell you what we love is callers one three hundred six five two nine two seven. We're going to go to Beck Miller in 30 seconds. But Dennis from Geelong has uh, called in. And Dennis, as I say good morning to you, you uh, you're wondering whether harness racing lost something in its transition from Melton to, uh, sorry, from uh, Mooney Ponds uh, at uh, Mooney Valley Racecourse to Melton. Uh, g'day, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? Yeah, you um, you got a query on whether whether that transition was, was a good or bad move? Well, I'm just thinking back to those days at Mooney Valley and listening to Pro Chevalier and these horses uh, winning, winning uh, you know, these, these races where there was an absolute packed house 
at Manny Valley and the crab roared and you, you, you think you're at Cox Plate Day. So I just wonder whether, you know, trotting, moving from Manny Valley to Melton has been right. a, a good move because, in my opinion, um, you know, it's, it's been a poor one. All right, good on you. Quick response from me and then Dan and then we'll go to Beck Miller. Uh, they had to move. Um, there was a issue with, um, um, you know, it was a cost issue yeah. as much as anything else. And the last few years at Mooney Valley, Dan, the crowds were down as well. It's yeah. not like they were peak crowds right through. So I I understand what Dennis is saying, but I, I don't know what alternative they had. Yeah, we hold on to those days. I agree. You listen to the crowd in the background. We had that Pro Chevalier uh, race call. A lot of those inter-dominions through the, the late 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, totally agree with you. And we want to welcome them back. There are a couple of big meetings. If you come out to New Year's Eve hmm. at Melton for the Vic Bread finals night, it'll remind you a bit about what Mooney Valley used to be like. Now we get late scratching, just come through for Sandown. Race 6, number 5, just a dreamer. Race 6, number 5, just a dreamer, late scratching. Good on you, Cozzy, and good on you, Dennis, and thanks for calling in, and uh, we welcome uh, 1300 652 anyone who wants to call in about anything. Simone, we've got a great subject coming up with Beck Miller. We certainly have, and Beck has been a guest on Cracking the Codes before, but she's um, giving up her time again. She's one of those wonderful people that volunteers her time to rehome retired greyhounds, the ones that don't actually make it, and... Um, a few, only a few years ago that she um, started the volunteer organisation of Racing to Rehome, got a band of warrior women and probably some men scattered in there too and she's doing wonderful things, not just in Australia but um, globally now and we welcome Beck this morning. Good morning, Beck. Good morning. Look, it's great for you to join us again because um, I know you had some dogs heading to America yesterday but the flight was cancelled but you've got a couple of... Um, I think a couple of batches going next week, haven't you? Is it got about eight dogs or something going next week to America? Uh, yes, yeah, so we've got dogs flying out again on Monday, and then between um, for the end of at the end of February, we've sent um, around 130 dogs to the USA for rehoming, and then from all through March, we've got a flight every week heading over. The question's why. I, I, I know that a lot of states in the US have outlawed greyhound racing. I, I imagine originally there would, have, there would have been a surplus of greyhounds who were intended to race and then, well, what do we do with them now type thing. So, but it seems as though there has been a void over there that has been filled in a, in a domestic sense by, by our greyhounds. What, what was the need? Why did America have such a shortage of greyhounds? Yeah, absolutely. There's a huge demand for the greyhounds as pets over there. And as you said, with the industry closing down, there's just not the number of greyhounds available for adoption. And as we all know, once you've had a greyhound, you want to re-adopt another greyhound. Um, so there's still a very popular pet over there, um, and there's just not enough dogs for the demand of people looking to adopt. When you came up with this idea, Beck, originally, I know you were travelling over there with your husband and um, looking for something to do, hooked up with some rehoming groups, got chatting, and it all just snowballed. So in... I think it was about 2019, the, about October we were talking. I was at Geelong Cup that night and I knew that the dogs were in the air at that time. But you've come a very long way. I mean, this is racing to rehome. It feels like it's sort of outgrown itself in a very short space of time considering COVID smacked in the middle there. Oh, it absolutely has. And it's grown very large, very quick. And we're pretty pleased with where it's got to. Um, so initially we threw flew 23 dogs and then, of course, due to lockdown and Flights not happening, the program come to a halt. Um, we were certainly keen to fly again and um, we weren't able to do that till mid last year when we were able to get dogs on planes again. But just looking at the program from where it's gone, you know, we've got GRV um, contributing financially and logistically and supporting us. Totally come on board and we've got a great partnership that we're working there. So there's sort of two avenues that the dogs fly out. They'll come into Artois Direct and we're also working with the team at GAP and um, flying dogs from there as well. Uh, I'm not sure which states in America still race and which ones don't, but it sounds like there's a massive push against there. These adopted Australian greyhounds, is it more for certain parts of America? Imagine the easiest access is to the West Coast and Los Angeles and California and things like that. Is there there one area that has a higher demand than others over there? The teams in the USA are amazing. So we've actually partnered with groups in the US. So they're the same as us. They're all volunteer groups um, that go out and find homes for the dogs. So the dogs just aren't sent over for anyone to adopt. 
they go to another rehoming group who have all the processes in place um, and adopt the dogs out from there. So the hard thing for us flying from Australia is at the moment we've only got two airports we can land in, being LA and then Vancouver in um, Canada, and then the groups will go to those airports and select the dogs from there. Um, the amazing thing is that these um, adoption groups in the US are um, so keen to get dogs. Some of them are driving eight hours each way to meet the dogs at the airport and take them home. I'm just having a look at uh, the only states that still allow greyhound racing in the US are Alabama, Arkansas, Iowa, Texas and West Virginia. Five. So they're all basically down south-ish, aren't they? Uh, Beck, I just got this image in my mind. You know when dog people will get together at cafes and sit around and talk and who's this little fluffy, where did she come from? What a great conversation starter. Like, well, this dog was flown in and landed in Vancouver. It started in Australia and uh, sounds very flash, doesn't it? It's a great talking point. <laughs> it certainly does, yeah. Yep. And, guys, obviously these type of things cost a lot of money. And um, I know I've spoken to you briefly, and I'll just put it out there now for the first time on RSN, that um, Beck, myself and Mel from the Sandown Vet Clinic and a number of other people, we've teamed up with um, this fundraising charity, Adventure All-Stars, um, with our goal of raising $10,000 each to help Racing to Rehome to get more greyhounds rehomed, not only in Australia, because obviously there's costs there, but America as well. So if anyone um, is feeling generous and wants to donate to my cause, I have got a wine drive going at the moment. Oh, hello. Um, you can buy bottles of wine with racing to rehome and greyhound faces well, on got, them. you've got me. Or you can, um, I'm sure a quick Google and Simone right. Fisher racing to rehome. I'll put a link up on my Twitter later as well. So if anyone's looking to feel... You know, even $5, it all contributes to a, a very, very worthy cause. And um, it's great that you could join us on the show again this morning, Beck. Good on you, Beck. I think it's fascinating yeah. uh, sending these greyhounds out and then then them filtering through the streets of America and what great talking points. So, hey, good on you. Keep it up and we'll, uh, we'll keep in touch with you. Thank you. Thanks for your time today. Beck Miller there, exporter of greyhounds. Yeah. Um, all right, Simone, just touch, give us that de- those details again quickly and then we'll say um, see you later. Well, if I was organised. So if you Google Simone Fisher Racing 2 with the number 2, Rehome, it will probably come up with um, Prospect Wines, which is where you can buy some wine um, and it will probably come up with a link to my fundraising. But I will put it out on my Twitter. So if anyone is looking for me on Twitter, I'm under... Simone Fisher at Smart Remark. And doesn't have to be just Google. You can just put into any search engine as well. Oh, yeah, I'm, It's funny, I'm isn't it, Googler. Google? Remember when Ask Jeeves was around? Hey, good on you guys. We've run just slightly over time. We Simone, have a lovely see week. You. See, good night. Good calling tonight, Dan. I will be out there on the track for the pony trots. Um, so, big night. Yep. Yeah, it's a, a big night, certainly.